Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. The next week they came again and shared the gospel with me. And the next week they came again and shared the gospel with me. And every week we're like, hide, the Southern Baptists are coming. They were com- we were the Iranians, but we were getting terrorized by John 3.16. And for two months I heard the gospel and I saw the gospel. I saw the gospel because they were gracious. They were graceful. Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot. Gabe is off this week after a busy time this past month with the Q 2019 conference. Starting this weekend is the Muslim Holy Month of Ramadan, a time our Muslim neighbors and friends will be spending time fasting during the daylight hours. When we think of Islam, many people, including many Christians, become afraid. They think of the news coverage of terror attacks like the one recently in Sri Lanka, or they think of 9-11. But is that the full story of Islam and Muslims worldwide, or even in your neighborhood? Can Christians and Muslims work together to face major issues of humanitarian and social need? And how can we reach Muslims for the gospel? That's what we'll look at today on Q Ideas. Let's start with the topic of cooperation with Muslims. When ISIS rolled through Syria and Iraq a few years ago, the main victims were Muslims, many fleeing for their lives into Lebanon. That led to a huge humanitarian crisis. World Vision, a Christian humanitarian organization, worked to help provide relief to those refugees. But the task was enormous, more than they could handle alone. So who did they seek for help? A few years ago, Gabe spoke at a Q conference with Steve Haas of World Vision and Sheikh Mohammed from Lebanon about how they work together for the common good of the refugees. Let's hear that talk. Steve and uh, Sheikh Mohammed uh, have, have a relationship and a friendship, and uh, we're going to hear a little bit about that. And, and I think uh, first, Steve's the vice president of World Vision. If you don't know, World Vision um, helps uh, in so many parts of the world doing so many amazing things. Over 40,000 employees. I know Rich Stearns, the president, is here with us today. Uh, And we we couldn't be prouder to be partners with them in all that you guys do. So thank you for that, Steve. And I I would like to actually ask you to introduce, you're hosting our friend Sheikh Mohammed here. Would you please introduce him to us? This is uh, Sheikh Mohammed Abu Zaid. He's a Muslim Sunni jurist from the town of Saida. Many of us, if we've looked in our Bibles, we've heard of the town of Sidon. Well, this is the place where Peter and Paul had that little disagreement as to whether the gospel should go to the Gentiles. He actually took me to the room and was my theologian for the day, helping me understand that. But he also is our indispensable partner in Sidon in working with Syrian refugees who have come across the border. And without him, we couldn't do much of our work in the Bekaa, uh, which is where many of the refugees have settled. And, and I would just like to direct our first question to you, Sheikh Mohammed. Thanks again for traveling all this way to be with us. Uh, there's a lot of confusion in American culture about the, the Islamic faith and whether it's something to be feared or something to be embraced. 
Um, I wondered sometimes, do you have these same conversations in Lebanon about Christians, and should they be feared or embraced? But would you just kind of help us understand more from your perspective the heart of Islam? Usually when we meet people, the first greeting will be, peace be upon you. This is the Islamic greeting. And after the meeting, when we finish and we want to leave, again we say the same word, peace be upon you. Then in Islam, our meetings begin, begins with peace and ends with peace. And between the beginning and the end, what should be? Peace. <laughs> and the word Islam, the word itself, is derived from the same meaning, peace. Salam in Arabic, peace. Islam is the religion of peace. And unfortunately, media have shown Muslims as the most maybe aggressive people in this earth. And that this religion is the religion that promotes violence. While the name is peace, the name of this religion, and the greeting and the way of life should be peaceful. Yeah, and I think a lot of the confusion obviously has been around ISIS and just how much media attention plays out about ISIS and, and how we start to see that that's identified completely as what all Muslims must believe. And yet we know from your perspective and from many others that that's simply not true. The same is true, though, in media within Lebanon, right? You hear, about, you hear stories about Americans, and part of your journey has been, as you've come to America over the last two years, starting to get a different perspective. Could you talk a little bit about the importance of getting to know people before you just make these assumptions? In Arabic, we have a saying, knowing someone is better than hearing about him. When I hear about someone, something, I, I will use a lot of imagination to make this picture in my head. And then I don't know how accurate this imagination will be. While, while meeting him, sitting with him, speaking to him, having lunch or dinner with him, spending some time with him, it will introduce him to me in a more clear way and a very, very effective way. Then someone from the Middle East hearing in the media about certain policies the American government is doing, considering that these policies is against our lands or our countries, then America is the enemy. But who is America? Is it the people? Is it the government? Is it the president? Then when someone comes here, he will realize that even the Americans are against some policies the government is right. issuing. And a lot of people who are not comfortable with these policies, then yes, coming and meeting people made me have a better understanding for what is called America. It is not one thing. It is a diversity of cultures, a diversity of people. Some are very good people, and in our country, some are very good people. And maybe some are bad, and also in my country, some are bad. We are human beings. We have the good ones and the bad ones. Mm. And maybe, maybe the best thing we can do to seek to find the good ones, to have a good partnership with them, to change the world, to be a better world, and to try to have positive influ influence on those who we consider maybe they are bad, to make them good people. Yeah. 
And Steve, I mean, World Vision, is, is everybody understands, is motivated by the Christian faith, and you found yourselves having a common need in Lebanon, where the refugee crisis um, emerging from um, people leaving Syria and from what's taking place in the Middle East uh, has erupted in Lebanon, and World Vision's been there working, and so this is where a practical friendship has formed to where both of you've had to say, hey, we're motivated maybe by different faiths, but there's a common need. Can you just describe how that's actually playing out and how you've worked together specifically? I think it's perhaps important to note that Lebanon is about 4.1 million people. If you just take the registered refugees and those who are unregistered, in the last four years, Lebanon has taken in close to 2 million refugees. Just do the math. We're 320 million people half of that coming across the border, either Canada or Mexico, and feel the concussion of that, that's what's happening in his country. Most of those are Muslims, and most of those are Sunni Muslims, which is what his faith represents. So how do we actually minister to those people if we take James 1.27 seriously, that we exercise our right religion or our pure religion by taking care of vulnerable people, orphans and widows in their distress? So we have to have partners that are bigger than the very small church that exists in the Middle East. And that has meant partnerships across faith lines. And there's probably no more committed person to helping the Syrian refugees than Sheikh Mohammed, his mosque, and many of our partners that we're working with in that region of the world. What they often lack are resources, friendship, camaraderie, people who are willing to shoulder the the wheel with them and trying to minister to these people around the issues of water and health and sanitation and things that you and I take for granted, but many of these refugees don't have. So this relationship, and many like them, have been absolutely critical for us to get the job done, the job that we are called to do as followers of Jesus. And so, Sheikh Mohammed, I'm curious from your perspective, what has it been like for you and your community to find some common ground and work alongside people who are Jesus followers? First, you need to know that uh, in Lebanon, Muslims and Christians have been living together since 1,400 years. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing happened during the 70s and 80s, which is the civil war in Lebanon. Then what we are doing nowadays is not establishing a new relation with Christians. No, we are trying to bring our country back yeah. to what it always was about, yeah. having this positive mixture of people, Muslims, Christians, Jews, because also we had a Jewish community. And I'm a judge in a family court. When I open the old records, I can see a lot of mixed marriages between Muslims and Christians, Mm. Muslims and Jews. And what is marriage about? It's a story of a love story between a couple. Then this is how we saw it in our records and how we should see it in the big community then it is not someone making a new relationship. No, it's someone who is trying to have again the relationship, the historical relationship we had always during the past 1,400 years. What would you say, just in closing, you wish that this room knew, people who are leading congregations here, Christian leaders, um, you know, Rich, you were with us uh, last year, and one of the things you communicated so clearly Uh, was that Syria needs an earthquake so that we'd actually pay attention to what was taking place with refugees. That earthquake came in the form of about three months later when the the little image of the little boy who was washed up on the beach who had died and lost his life um, showed up and the world awoke to that. And now people are aware there's a crisis. Um, What would you want us to understand about how that's affecting families in your community, how it's affecting the, the so much of the population now has completely changed the dynamics. 
What would you like us to know so that we can be a part of praying for you and also helping be a part of the solution? I can understand the way that Steve was talking, giving certain numbers and percentages. But if I want to talk as a man of belief, as a religious leader, maybe the refugees are millions, and maybe the refugees are only one single personnel. We should be concerned. Maybe these refugees are Muslims, Buddhists, Christians, whatever. They are human beings. We should be concerned. Forget that they are Syrians. Forget that they are millions. Forget that they are Arabs or Muslims. Just remember, they are human beings, just like you and me. And as we deserve a life with a high standard and good quality, they also deserve this. Thank you so much. We're going to close. I want us to all just watch this. We have a video of, of a prayer from a refugee perspective, and I want us to just see that in, in our closing here. Lord, we don't understand what is going on in the Middle East. We come to you and we plead with you to be merciful, to guide us, to help us not to despair, to help us see what we can do, even if it is something small, in order to meet this tremendous challenge that is in front of us. We pray for everyone who is involved to alleviate suffering among the refugees. Lord, we want to believe that things are not out of your control. You have your own loving purposes, and we pray that somehow you may draw some good out of all this evil. We pray for the sake of your kingdom, and in Jesus' name, amen. for a moment and just pray together about this, not just talk about it, but ask God to continue to intervene in the work that's taking place. Uh, Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to learn more, to be educated, to be informed about what's taking place, but we know that there's real, real hearts and real children and families just being so devastated, God, who, who had a home just a year ago and today don't have a home and who don't know when they can go back home. Father, it's hard for many of us in this room to imagine what that must feel like, but we know your heart breaks. We know your heart longs for them to feel your love and your warmth. We know that they need food. We know that they need shelter. And God, we're asking that you not only provide it, but that you use us to provide it, that we'd be a part of the solution, that we'd be just a part of the church rising up in a way that contributes to this. So that when we look decades from now back, that we understand that this was a critical moment And I just ask that you'll continue to inspire us to know how we can engage. We thank you for Sheikh Mohammed being with us, for telling the story from his community. I thank you for Steve. I thank you for the World Vision team and how many faithful people are living in in these spaces and, and trying to make sense of it and trying to find common ground where most didn't think it could exist. And so we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's thank them for being with us for this. Thank you. Thank you. So good to be with you. 
That was Gabe Lyons' conversation with Steve Hawes from World Vision and Sheikh Mohammed of Lebanon on Q Ideas. Thanks again for listening this weekend. Islam is our topic this week, and maybe you've asked the question, can Muslims be reached for the gospel? We often get the impression that they can't be reached, or maybe we're just too scared to try. But the reality is many Muslims are finding Jesus as Savior, including many refugees here in the United States. One such person is David Nasser. As you hear his story from a recent Q conference, the key was befriending and loving our Muslim neighbors. Let's listen. I'm originally from Iran, uh, like Gabe said. And when I was nine years old, the Iranian revolution happened in my country. I remember that as a nine-year-old little boy. I remember the trauma of a revolution. When I was nine years old, the Ayatollah Khomeini and his religious zealots took over my country and one thirty-sixth of my nation was massacred and killed. And I'll never forget those days. I'll never forget soldiers coming to my school and reading my name because of who my father was out loud on a piece of paper and calling me out in front of the entire student body. I went to a military school in a little army base and I made my way to the front and a soldier took a gun out of a holster, put it at my head and quoted the Quran and, and told me he was going to lead worship basically, not with a guitar, but with a gun in his hand. And he told me he was ordered to take my life. When you're nine years old and you go through that kind of trauma, all of a sudden the, the revolution isn't just something that's on TV or something that your parents are talking about. It comes front and center. And I remember those days. I remember the principal getting between me and the gun and asking the, the soldier to go home and to give us another chance. I went home that day and I told my dad what was happening. And my father began to explain to me that, that basically terrorism is, is fear and action. And they were using that moment to send a bigger message, not just to my family, but through my family. A couple of days later, soldiers came to our home. I'll never forget my mom hanging onto the leg of one of the soldiers and just screaming out loud as they were dragging my father out of our home. And she just kept saying, just kill him quickly, just kill him quickly. And I'll never forget thinking, why is my mom asking these soldiers to, to kill my father quickly? My first memory ever of prayer was when we got together after my dad was dragged out of the house and my mom began to pray again, God, let him die quickly. And I stopped her and I said, mom, what are you doing? And she said, your father is being taken to the same park that they took his best friend the day before. And his best friend was taken to the park, tied to a tree. They took out a pair of pliers and they started with the fingernails and worked their way in slowly. And we need to pray that your father will be spared that kind of trauma. So when you're nine years old and you're begging God, your first memory ever of prayer is, God, if you're going to torture, if you're going to double down on my family, can you at least make it quick? You begin to have theology, right? You begin to have thinking of who you think God is. And I remember as a nine-year-old kid thinking, I hate God. I know most nine-year-olds don't think stuff like that. Most nine-year-olds don't wake up and think, I hate God. Uh, most nine-year-olds think stuff like, I don't know, should I eat this crayon? All right, but I was nine when I decided, you know what? I hate God because he first hated me. And that afternoon, my dad wasn't killed. He came home and he said, they've given me a few more weeks. And, and he told us that day that we're escaping from Iran. My mind, we were escaping from God and his people. And, and our escape plan was dramatic. We used my mom and her heart issues as our way out. And we paid all these doctors, uh, you know, uh, a, a way for them to, to fabricate a story where my mom needed open heart surgery that she didn't really need. And I remember going to the airport in Tehran and holding my dad's hand and his hand just kept shaking. And he kept saying to my mom, if they find out we're escaping, they're going to kill us right here on the spot. But they didn't. And we landed in Switzerland where we were going to have the supposed operation. And instead of going to the hospital, we went to the American consulate and we pled our case. We said, hey, we want to become refugees 
in America. But at that time, nobody was allowing my people from my neck of the woods into your neck of the woods. And for nine months, we were stuck. We were stuck in Switzerland. We were stuck in Germany until one day my mom got us together and she said, I've got an American idea. That's what she said. She said, hey, uh, here's a guy who's American. She showed us a picture of a white guy with a beard and a mullet, kind of a Duck Dynasty looking fella. And she said, um, this is Jesus Christ and he's from America. And uh, I, know, I know many of you are laughing and many of you are not laughing. You're like, Jesus is American. I don't know if, I don't know what, I don't know if anybody's ever told you, but he's not a white Republican who's always on Hannity. He's more actually, he's actually more from my neck of the woods than y'all's. He's more Camel Dynasty than... Duck Dynasty, but that's for, for anyway. So that's not what my mom said. My mom said, "This is Jesus. He's American. Let's ask him to let us into his country." And talk about bad theology. We literally got together and said, "Jesus, please let us into your country." And I'm just telling you, a week after we mentioned the name of Jesus, the doors opened up. So I remember flying to America and thinking, "I hate God, I hate religion, but hey, Jesus, thanks for letting us into your country." And we came here as refugees. And I got to tell you, when we came here, it just didn't go well. I came from the wrong place at the wrong time. I had the wrong haircut, the wrong clothes, the wrong language, the wrong everything. I was a wedgie waiting to happen, all right? And I come in, and all of a sudden, I walk into the American school. We moved to the largest army-based town in America, Colleen, Texas. So can you imagine? Everybody's watching on TV how the Iranians are burning the American flag, how they've held 54 Americans hostage in the American embassy in Iran. And so we parachute right in. And I'm telling you, I walked right in and realized that this is a great country, but it's a horrible place. A horrible place if you're thinking it's going to guarantee you refuge no matter what. And for years and years, that was me. I was the kid that every day ate his lunch alone at the table. I was the kid that heard every nickname, every 7-Eleven joke, every turban joke, every dot on the forehead cable hookup joke. I got called bean dip and I'm not even Mexican. I was like, you're not even accurate in your racism. And we'd escaped halfway across the world to honestly unplug from one kind of terrorism, right? Physical and plug into a whole other kind, emotional. And for years and years, that was me until the day my freshman year in high school was about to start when my father felt sorry for me and he took me to the mall and he gave me this extreme makeover and got me new clothes and everything. And I went to school the next day and uh, I always like to laugh and say, I went from like geek to chic, y'all, overnight. And I walked into the American high school and I learned that people care so many times more about the label that you wear or the haircut you have or the clothes you drive than anything else. And I just played that game in high school and I graduated from high school popular. But I got to tell you, I was more broken on the inside than I was even before when I was a nobody. I barely graduated. And one night after about two weeks, I mean, two months after high school, I was in the car one with my friend and we were, to be honest, we were smoking weed And my friend invited me to church. (laughs) And that is the South, y'all. I'll never forget. He was like, come to church. And I was like, you go to church. And he said he was a Southern Baptist. And that's what he said. And I went to church. I didn't go because I wanted God. I I went because he named all these people that we could be social with, all these people we partied with. And I went to church. And honestly, I began to see something very different. I began to see the gospel. I began to see people who were doing good, advancing good for the, for the gospel's sake. 17 teenagers after that Sunday that I went to their church showed up at my house on a Monday night and shared the gospel with me. The next week they came again and shared the gospel with me. 
And the next week they came again and shared the gospel with me. And every week we're like, hide, the Southern Baptists are coming. They were com-. We were the Iranians, but we were getting terrorized by John 3.16. And for two months I heard the gospel and I saw the gospel. I saw the gospel because they were gracious. They were graceful. One night I was at their church and all of a sudden I just felt like God was calling me home. I tried to get away from their church and I went, left and went home and God just was waiting on me at home. <laughs> and uh, I became a Christian. And that night, as an 18 and two months old, uh, I love what the Apostle Paul says. He says, uh, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by Christ who gave himself for me, right? And ditto. <laughs> I became a believer. And my parents were never devout as Muslims until the night I became a Christian. And then all of a sudden they became very devout. And I got disowned by my parents. But five months after I was a Christian, one night my sister called me on the phone weeping and she'd come to Christ. And five months after that, my mother was screaming on the phone. Tonight I become Christian. I'm like, why are you yelling? She was like, I want your father to hear because he's not kicking me nowhere. That's how she rolls. And my mom got saved. And then five months after that, my brother Benjamin, who's Down syndrome, he became a Christian. And two and a half years later, my father became a Christian. And people always hear that. And when they hear that, they always ask me, they go, where did it all start? And and I always love to tell them, it it all started when, honestly, I'll just say this to you. When I got invited to church by a pothead, (laughs) and the reason my father gave me permission to go was because two weeks before, a bunch of Christians showed up at his restaurant. He owned an Iranian restaurant and rolled up their sleeves when they saw he was shorthanded on waitstaff and served him at his restaurant. And God in his sovereignty used that to massage his heart. So I am a living testimony of the power of hospitality gone right. And so, yeah, I think it's really great that we're getting together to stay curious and to think well. But at the end of the day, man, we got to go out there and sweat this stuff out. And I think we advance good when we advance the good news by finding a place where there's a need and we meet it. And honestly, it's got to look like this. Wow, there's a guy at a restaurant who just needs my help. Why don't I just get up, right, and get some dirty fingernails because this person needs a clean heart. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much. That again was David Nasser here on Q Ideas sharing his story of coming to Jesus because of the faithful, loving befriending of average people like you and me. Again, the Muslim Holy Month of Ramadan starts this weekend, so pray for your Muslim neighbors. Befriend them and let natural relationships and opportunities to show Jesus and grace happen. Thanks again for listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Learn more about Q at qideas.org. Until next time, I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Have a great week. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.